Nick, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to be here. Dude, it's been so great to get to know you over the past 20 minutes and, yeah. and over the past week from and researching. TikTok this. DMs. Yeah, sir. All the good stuff. <laughs> so let's start off with why did your mom call you Bob the Builder? <laughs> uh, well, I was always fixing things. Like, I loved fixing things. Um, you know, it was everything from screwing something in, like simply with a screwdriver. Or uh, I just loved the toolbox also. Like I loved, um, I loved uh, putting things together. I loved Legos as a kid. Like Le- I didn't have video games till uh, 10. And the only other time I would play video games is like going to a friend's house. But I was never good because I didn't understand any of the controls or anything. So, um, you know, it was like Legos. It was um, blocks. It was like, uh, you know, in my elementary school, like the woodworking class or the clay uh, pottery. And, um, yeah, just, I've always just liked building things with my hands and, um, you know, seeing the evolution of it, but Bob the Builder, probably because I loved watching Bob the Builder. That was like my <laughs> prime time show as a kid, probably longer than the average kid watches Bob the Builder. And, um, and then secondly, the, the other memory I'm getting is like, you know, like playing with the dishwasher, fixing things around or like, Oh, this, this, uh, drawer doesn't roll in smoothly, and then I, I'd love to like get in and fix it up. So probably that. What's the through line from Bob the Builder to building brands? The through line, as in like the fundamental, as in the connection point, the connection where you point. could look back and be like, "Wow, like I didn't realize I was doing this, and I'm actually doing this in my professional life." Yeah. Now. Um. I think it's just the building things like, um, you know, I've always, I've always admired entrepreneurs or builders or, um, and so I think for me, it's just programmed in my head. I just love, like I get satisfaction and dopamine from seeing things be built or, or pieces be put together and things work. Um, that's probably it. Makes sense to me. Yeah. Well, on, on a similar note from your childhood, why do you always find yourself quietly thanking your elementary school teacher, Jesse Brandt? Oh, dude, you're good. Um, all right, so Jesse is, Jesse is, was a legend. Um, he's still there. He's still the director of technology. And um, Jesse was just like, uh, I remember when he joined, and his job was basically running the computer lab. And we had these... Um, Mac, like the colored iMacs, if you remember those, with like the circular mouse. Um, I'm dating myself now, but, uh, you know, colored iMacs. And um, Jesse's job was basically to like teach us computers, you know, uh, give us computer literacy, basically. What age is this? This was, I'm forgetting, I want to say it was like probably third grade. Hmm. Um yeah, third or fourth grade, I think. And and as a kid, too, I've always just loved technology. Like, um, you know, laptops, desktops. Like, uh, you give me the Sunday paper, I'm looking straight for computers and PCs hmm. and monitors and analyzing the costs between them as a kid. Um, but Jesse was basically like, you know, I'd, I'd used a computer before and kind of known my way around, but Jesse was like, this is how you adjust your resolution size, and this is how you type without looking at the keyboard, and um, this is how you, uh, you know, there was this program that MIT created called Scratch, and uh, it's basically like, the, it's like um, the building blocks to code, and so you understand how code is, is working or like, you know, the if-then statements and things of that nature. And, um, you know, he was teaching us that. And it, it's like everything that Jesse taught us, uh, I could still, every day I could do something and think, like, that's because of Jesse. Like, hmm. you know, whether it's just writing an email and not looking, whether it's like knowing all the keyboard shortcuts around a Mac, uh, whether it's, um, um, you know, even just like jumping into new programs and knowing like where to start in a new software or how to think about where to start, like all that kind of stuff came from Jesse. And he was also equally as passionate about teaching us. And so, um, you know, he, I think he pretty much built the technology curriculum from scratch. Like, I don't think it really existed when he got there. And so his passion then turned into, you know, a passion for a a lot of us. And um, yeah, Jesse was just, uh, he's, he's a living legend. Isn't it interesting how one 
portion of your school had outsized returns on everything that you do on the day to day and For one sure. person had an outsized return it's like it seems like if we were to redesign elementary school and middle school we would spend 80% of our time on computers and computer related things rather than you know math or science totally. and, and all those things are certainly helpful but it's like Everyone uses computers today yeah. in some form or function. Why is that not the thing that we focus the most time on learning? Yeah. I mean, I don't know what school curriculum looks like today. I'd be shocked if it's not, um, you know, a lot more focused on not even just like the stuff we were doing. Because when we got it, it was like we were all kind of learning the computer together. Hmm. Um, nowadays, it's like, you know, you see three-year-olds knowing iPads, you know, inside and out. And so... You know, like if I were to, I always think if I were to grow up today, I would 100% learn how to code and um, figure that whole thing out, that whole world out. Because, you know, pretty much um, everybody I know, their life would be enhanced if they knew how to code in addition to like what they do. You know, it's just like that extra, I don't know, 20, 30% on top you can add to your firepower. There are a lot of people graduating college right now who listen to the show and are wondering what are the primary skills that they should learn? You mentioned coding as one. Yeah. What are some of the other things that they should be thinking about or the skills that they should be thinking about if they want to advance their career and have the most impact on this world? Um, there's a few. I think one is cold emailing. Like knowing how to write a good cold email um, will change your life. Yes. And it will, uh, you know, if you have two people equal credentials or whatever, one person knows how to write a good cold email and the other doesn't, the person who knows how to write a cold email will be exponentially more successful than the person who, who doesn't. So I think that's one. Um, the other one I think is like knowing how to, um, knowing how to like show up at events. Mm. So like, I think a lot of things, one thing that a lot of people do who want to, you know, who are more ambitious or who are probably listening to this podcast is they'll go to events, right? Networking events, uh, meetups, community meetups. I remember in San Francisco, I used to go to like product hunt meetups all the time um, or really like any kind of tech meetup that I saw, I'd be like, I want to go. And um, it probably wasn't until a little bit later when I realized like, oh, I should learn this skill of just walking up to somebody and saying what's up and not just asking like, how's it going or, you know, this weather or uh, what do you do? But like, you know, just asking them interesting questions. And it's actually, uh, it's, it's just something of like, it's as easy as going to TikTok and searching interesting questions to ask people and then just making that your opening question, you know? Um, so I think, yeah, another skill is, is knowing how to just at an event, how to network properly and also how to build a network. Like not just, um, it's not just networking. It is, uh, it's figuring out how you can help somebody else unlock something they're working on or, or help them unlock something. Um, and, and to me, that's like proper networking. It's like you're not just networking for the sake of like connecting on LinkedIn or sending an email back and forth and saying, let's stay in touch. You know, it's like, um, like if you go to an event and you see somebody you want to talk to, you want to, you know, become peers with, it's like figuring out, okay, how can I help this person? And it doesn't mean you have to like spend hours doing something. It could just be something as simple as like, um, actually, this is, I think, the, the best tip. If, you can, if you're good at introing people to each other, you get the most credit because you do nothing, right? You send one email. Um, although you have to pitch to like, you know, if you were like, hey, intro me to this person, I'd go pitch to that person why they should be, why they should spend, you know, 20, 30 minutes on the phone with you. Um, you make the connection and, and then you're done. Like if you're, if you're confident, those are two people that should meet and should talk and something good would happen. You'll get the credit for the rest of their lives that you made the intro and that might result in nothing or it might result in like these guys started a company together or, you know, these guys did something and it, it benefited both of them or one of them a ton. And, um, you'll just always get the credit for something that took you 30 seconds. Um, I think that's like the number one thing to build your network is like just be good at like understanding what people need and what people want and what people are good at and then connecting other people that kind of fit that puzzle piece that they're that they're like trying to attach to. How do you connect Morning Brew and Mark Cuban? Well, that one I saw um I think it was like a so Mark Cuban was going viral 
those few days, he sa- I forget what he said. He said something about, um, I don't know, something on Twitter. And it was just going viral and viral. And I saw that I think Kinsey, well, this was when Kinsey was hold- hosting the show. Kinsey Grant. Kinsey Grant, yeah. She replied to Mark and said something like, you know, do you want to come talk about this on um, Business Casual? And so on Twitter, so if you're verified, you have a verified tab. Um, which is where I imagine most celebrities spend their time is just like, okay, I'm just going to look at that. But if you're Mark Cuban going viral on Twitter for business news, like that's going to be completely flooded. There's no chance or very little chance he's going to see that, you know? Um, and then you think of like the return on his time, like how much time does he actually spend on Twitter, blah, blah, blah. So then I was like, all right, I know that if I email Mark Cuban, there's a pretty good chance he'll respond within 10 minutes. And um, I don't remember how long it took for him to respond, but I remember waking up, seeing the tweet. I saw it. I, I just wrote the email on my phone, sent it. And before I was out of bed, there was already like he was down and I connected him with, um, with Josh, who was the producer. And um, yeah, like that's a great example of like, you know, the morning brew team uh, I mean, I'm pretty tight with them, but if I wasn't tight with them and I was like trying to get their attention or, you know, uh, go to drinks with them or meet up with them, like that's just, uh, that's my buy-in, right? It's like, I, I brought the value up front and now it's like, now I get to cash in these, these chips. What compelled you to send that email when you didn't have anything to quote unquote gain? Um, I mean, I love Austin and Alex. I think they've built like a, such a sick business and, um, I just love them as humans too, like just mm. people just chatting it up and whatnot. And so I was just like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And then I'll get to text Austin and Alex and be like, look what I did. <laughs> that was it. That was literally it. Literally There's for no the story. other motivation. Yeah. <laughs> just do it for the story. I love it. Yeah. And when I, I called Harrison Remler today, mm-hmm. uh, your good friend and, and yeah. somebody who's a good friend to me and a previous podcast guest, I called him like, what should I talk to Nick about? And he said, <clears throat> Well, he's a super connector, and he does it in such a kind, generous, and warm way. And I think yeah. that story details it perfectly. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I really don't have any objective when I connect people for myself. Mm. Um, I love the satisfaction of uh, other people saying, oh, you know, she's awesome. I loved talking with her, and uh, we're going to do some cool things together. And it's like, that's dope. You know, that's, that's literally all it is. It's just, I just want to say, oh, that's sick. Um, but that's it. Yeah. There's no, there's no like agenda or anything behind it. I also just think there's, um, you know, there, there's like, there's a lot of people I've met where I'll meet them and it's like, oh wow, this person, you know, um, became a great, uh, friend or a great business contact, or we've done a, a bunch of stuff together. And I think more people should, I, I think everybody should like, um, should be able to feel that or should be able to, you know, if there's an opportunity sitting right there where two people sh- could connect and I'm pretty confident it'll help both of them, then uh, I take every opportunity to try to do that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Moise Ali is somebody who you connected with at some point in your journey yeah. a, a couple of years ago or more. Yep. And now all of a sudden you're running a podcast with him. You couldn't have predicted yeah. that connection. Not at all. Whenever you met him, but exactly. now you are. So like, how do you go about uh, like finding the people that you really want to be around mm-hmm. and making it a priority to be and spend more time with them? Um, man, it comes down, it just comes down to the vibes mm. at the end of the day. You know, like there's, um, there's people you, you work with and then there's people in your personal life. I feel like for me, a lot of that is actually pretty connected or intertwined. Um, which I actually like because it's like, oh, I can spend time with this person and we do cool stuff together. Um, but like, you know, like Harrison's a great example of somebody who's just like a great person. Uh, you know, we work out together every week and um, it's just, it's always good vibes. It's always good energy. It's like, it's, it gets me refreshed or recharged and uh, I feel excited to go tackle the day after spending time with him. Um, yeah, it's like... Uh, I think it just comes down to the vibes. Makes sense. What about uh, David Perel? How did you and him become oh, friends? Oh, dude, I just texted him on the way here because uh, I was missing him in the car. But him and I became friends through, he wrote um, an article back in the day on how Equinox is the new church. Hmm. And um, 
and we followed each other on Twitter, and then I DM'd him the article, and I was like, dude, this is kind of sick. And he was like, we should jump on a call. And I thought, like, what? Why? And I, and um, we jumped on the phone, and, and I was like, okay, like, why, why does this guy want to get on the phone? Does he, need, does he want something from me? And so um, we chatted, and then, and then that was kind of it. And then we were both in, I think, New York at the same time. And we met up to get ramen, I think. And, and then we just hit it off. And, um, yeah, we just became absolute homies together uh, over the last few years. But he, I think he's one of the smartest people I know. And um, so I love spending time with him. And, and um, yeah, David's amazing. Well, it was so funny, like looking back on the your LinkedIn posts and mm-hmm. seeing you be like, "You guys got everyone's got to check out David Perel's newsletter," and it's like him writing, and it's That's like probably so like funny. three, four years ago. Yeah, and it's just like wow, like the connection that you made and the friendship you built, and like look where he is now, look where you are now. It's, yeah. it's just a, a beautiful thing to see. Totally. So, I would love to go to the place of you doing CPR to save someone's life. Not many people can say that <laughs> the they've Heimlich. done that. The Heimlich. What yeah, happened yeah. there? Uh, so so <laughs> it's pretty funny. So like my family and, uh, you know, mom, dad, sister, and then my mom's sister's family, there's three boys and then two parents. We went to a ton of weddings as a kid together. Like So we would both be at the same hotels and the same events. And Indian weddings are long. They're not just like a, a, you know, a ceremony and a reception. This is like you're committing to like three to five days. And so uh, we would end up at these hotels and, you know, like I, me and, and the other two cousins, we would take a, a bell cart from the lobby and we'd go ride around in the hotel and we'd just, we'd just do like random weird stuff. And um, so then we we got a soccer ball um and this was at i actually don't remember i think it was at the san francisco weston hotel in union square but we got a soccer ball we went to a ballroom we were kicking it around there was like a um cleaning cart in the ballroom and so my uh older cousin the eldest of those three he was like i'm gonna you know he basically just grabbed a um God, what's it called? Uh, the big lemon head round sphere candy, Jawbreaker? Is that what it is? Could it was be. a big ass candy, and he um, put it in his mouth. But then we were still kicking the ball around, and I guess he kicked it, and it like choked. It got stuck in his throat, and um, so he was like, you know, trying to trying to like get it out, and it didn't work. And then, um, and then I just got behind him, and I was like, as a joke, as a joke, I was because I thought he was joking. So as a joke, I started doing the Heimlich, and then and then I realized, oh shit, he's actually choking it. And then I was doing it for real, and it just flew out. Oh my god. Um, yeah. Do you do you think about any ex? What age was that? I was just trying to think. I can't remember if I was really young or I because I feel like it was. I feel like it was when I was in eighth grade maybe Mm. Um, because that's when I got formal CPR training and got uh, certified or whatever that was yeah Um, but yeah well I say that because if that happened to me today I would think deeply about the existential nature of life and death and how close we are all are to that yeah Yeah. and I'm curious if like those thoughts came into your mind if not then later on like wow like my cousin was this close to dying and like yeah like what does that mean and what you know i saved his life in some respect yeah yeah like did you start Um, thinking along those lines no not at all actually i think i think for the longest time i didn't even realize like he was actually that close he like he he was actually choking or like in in like a fight or flight mode Mm. um and uh yeah but but no not really ever deeply thought about that Mm. yeah do you ever think about those sort of things today? Like, um, about, I mean, like, I definitely think like I, your purpose. Yeah. I mean, I always think like, um, you know, you see, uh, car accidents that happen where a drunk driver hits somebody, you know, completely paralyzed or somebody dies or, you know, all these just random unfortunate things. And I think for me, it's always, every time I see it, it's a reminder of like, okay, well, um, if you're not happy about what you're doing right now, then you got to change shit up. Yeah. And, um, 
And so a lot of times, like, um, you know, if I, if I don't feel like I'm in a spot where I'm able to be excited about what I'm doing, then things get changed. Mm. Or, you know, even something as simple as like, um, you know, I realized that, um, I was, I was, uh, on client calls for Sharma brands 24 seven. And I was like, I got to get myself out of these calls. Cause like, I can't do anything for them if I'm just sitting in, in phone calls all day. And so, you know, I was like, and this is not fun to me anymore. Like if I'm just sitting on calls, that's not fun. Cause I can't build anything. Mm. And so then, you know, got a change in there and pulled myself out all the way to, um, you know, if I, if I ever felt like, or actually I did kind of feel like earlier this year, I was like, I want to get, you know, I want to get my brain stimulated again and like build something new. And that's why we launched hooks. It was just like, Oh, I, I, I want that fun of like, okay, let's figure out how we form an LLC and like, uh, let's let's use Stripe Atlas and like set up a, a site and think about you know a go to market just all that kind of like um, fun stuff and so yeah so I I do think about it I'll, every time I see it I think about okay well it, this is like a check of um, am I am I still excited do I wake up happy do I wake up pumped and um, so yeah that's kind of how I view it what what part of the building a brand is yeah. most exciting to you. Um, I think because it's like really hard, and I think um, I don't know if this was an Elon quote or an Adal quote, but it was something about I think it was an Adal basically saying like the harder you work, uh, the more exciting the outcome is because you know how how hard you worked and how much you put into it, and so I like I think building a brand is really hard. I think launching um, launching anything is really hard, and um, but. I know that I also know that like uh with anything if you if you stay at it you will figure it out mm. right like um you see this happen a ton where this if you if you start two tracks and somebody says you know after let's say a year or 6 months they're like ah, I can't really figure this out versus the same person who can't figure it out at a year but they stay at it for two two more years um you know they're the ones striking gold and um so yeah and and I think also I, I just like learning. I like consuming and I like learning different things and um, seeing how different things work or how different worlds work. Um, so I like that process too. Yeah, that yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. When when you go about building a brand, like what is what is something that most people wouldn't expect or mm-hmm. that they would be like, wait, you do this and this and why do you do it like that? Mm-hmm. Like what, what part of the, the brand building is to you most shocking and that when you explain to people, they're surprised by it as well? I think the biggest part is probably um, a lot of people think like that, you know, um, you can launch a brand and it's just got to have a cool design. It's got to have cool colors, cool fonts, good catchphrases, good copy, good messaging, um, but they don't, they don't, uh, think about, cause it's hard to see this part. It's really like, um, seen throughout every piece of it, but it's like the soul of the brand is something mm. you don't see. And I've always, the way I've always thought about like e-commerce and, and everything that I've learned there is like, there's always people behind the screen. Right. And like Gary V used to say this thing a long time ago, uh, about selling B2B. It's like, you're still selling to somebody, a person at the end of the day. And like all the things that we interact with, you know, if you can think of them as more human or more people like, um, you get, you get more out of it. And so with brands, a lot of people think it's like, all right, let's get a cool logo, you know, sans serif font, pastel colored backgrounds. And that can definitely work at, uh, you know, it did work for a long time, like with, um, with native Moise and I talk about how, you know, he took the colors of Casper and the font of Harry's and that that's the native brand still today doing hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. Um, but for a brand to launch today, you know, that, but you could also say like, uh, Rhesus and KitKat have a ton of sugar, but they still do really well today. But it's like, if you were to launch today, a lot of those things don't work or like the game is fundamentally different, you know, zero to one than it was back then. Hmm. And so, um, with brands, like I always, we always try to think about the soul, like who is, who is this person and what is this person 
consuming and where are they consuming from and what accounts do they follow on Instagram if this brand was a person and if they were a person on Instagram, what are they reposting to their stories and what, what kind of stuff do they retweet on Twitter? Mm. And where do they, um, you know, if they were going to go get brunch, like where are they eating exactly? And what are their favorite holidays? And on that, you know, Labor Day, like what are they doing on Labor Day? Are they going to the Hamptons or are they going to drive back home to like see family? And so we think about this as like a person, like if we were to really ideate a person. And then from there, um, either at the same time or probably, uh, actually, yeah, somewhere around that time, we also think about, okay, well, who is like, who do we think the target consumer is based off of this? Mm. And and we keep it as like, who do we think that consumer is versus like, who is the consumer? Because we actually don't really know yet until we launch it and we start pushing this out and we start to see who's responding and then we can correct ourselves. But um, But yeah, I think the soul of the brand is something that gets missed a lot. And especially in um, the last, like, probably you know, four years or so, um, where a lot of these brands were launching because of, I mean, not because of, they were launching, but they were so backed by venture capitalists whose goal was, you know, it's going to a hundred or we're killing this thing, you know, fast. And so, um, a lot of these brands didn't have a ton of soul. You think about Casper, there's no soul to Casper, Hmm. right? Um, compared to something like eight sleep, there's a lot of soul in eight sleep. Um, and so, so yeah, I think soul's a big one and I think the reason a lot of a lot of people don't think about it as deeply when launching a brand is cuz they haven't seen that in a lot of brands. But then you think about brands that people love like a Mad Happy for example hmm. or um you know a I'm trying to think of like a non-creator brand. Uh Mad Happy's a perfect example. You feel an emotion or or some sense of excitement. Um and it's cuz like you can you can imagine who Mad Happy is in your head, right? Hmm. Um, compared to like a Casper, for example. Makes sense. What was it like working with Mr. Beast for Feastables? It was sick. Uh, Feastables is a brand that would do really, really well, even without Mr. Beast. Hmm. Their operations team is like, it's like there's PayPal mafia, there's going to be a Feastables mafia. Really? I guarantee it, yeah. The, The entire team at Feastables is a phenomenal team from the, um, the incubation, you know, the night ventures arm, all the way to uh, Jim Murray, who's the CEO, all the way to like the head of customer experience, to the growth team, to the operations team. I mean, it is just like a, it's the Avengers of of commerce and CPG. Um, but working on that project was so cool. I mean, uh, I think we broke Shopify records. Um, and there was another huge celebrity brand that we uh, touched this this year, and it, it came nowhere close. I mean, like the the amount of influence and um, the depth of the relationship that Mr. Beast has with his fans mm. is um, uh, it's it's I don't even know. It's like a one in one in a trillion. You know, it's <laughs> well, crazy. It, it's literally one in eight billion people. Yeah, right? no, hundred <laughs> like, percent. He's the only one. Yeah. But how did you get involved with that project? Um, I so I invested in the brand, and I can't remember where the intro came from for that. Um, it might have been either um, Brian Sugar or Chris Cantino. Um, but the intro came, and then you know my first thought was, oh, there's like a few other people I think should definitely invest because they'd be super helpful in this or they'd be able to do this or they have connects into here, which would help the brand. And um, so, yes. And then I put together a small SPV. Um, What's an SPV? SPV is basically, let's say, uh, actually, this is the exact example. We have this group chat called um, Good Morning Bozos. That was the name of the group chat at the time. But everybody in this group chat does something in media, creative, commerce, retail, uh, something. And it's just like one of my friendly group chats where we just, you know, post all day and, and like shoot the shit. And um, so I, I was like, guys, we should all put some money into this. And it doesn't have to be like, you know, 25, 50, 10,000. Usually like investing into a company of this caliber, it's like your minimum check has to be, you know, 50 or 100 um, as an angel. But I was like, let's just pool our money together into one entity where we each own a percentage of that entity and then we'll invest all this money as one check onto the cap table. And so we called it GMB Capital because, you know, you can make up the name of this fake, I'm not fake, but it's a real company. 
So good morning, Bozo Capital. Um, and then I invested on behalf of Masala Capital, which was a rolling fund that I had. And so, um, so that was, I think, how I got introduced. And then I just, you know, I was always just trying to think like, okay, I mean, this happens with any company I invest in or advise or work with is just like, okay, well, what could be helpful to them or, you know, whether it's making intros, whether it's just like jumping on the phone for 15 minutes or even just like starting a group chat and throwing ideas around. Um, and then eventually they were like, uh, uh, you know, I told them like, this is what we do just in case, like, if you guys are getting close to launch, you need some help, let us know. And, um, and then that was basically how we started working together, uh, was, you know, just to help them with the launch. Um, and then we did the launch, did season one, we worked, um, yeah, we just worked with them and we still work with them today. So cool. Yeah. And when you look at like the things that, to me, like that, that was the biggest, most recognizable name of anyone you've worked with. I mean, Emma yeah. Chamberlain and Chamberlain Coffee is up there as well. Yeah. But it's like, do you start to say to yourself like, oh my God, like how did I get into this position? <laughs> like where from, I don't know, like maybe five years ago, like sure. you probably would have dreamed to work with the biggest creator in the world. For sure. So it's like. It's, it's cool because we've went, we, we, um, we've done a, a lot of stuff in the creator space, which I really love the creator space. And then we're, we're also like, you know, the, the cool, really cool thing for me was getting an email from like the CMO of Patron or um, the chief intelligence at Bacardi or the, um, you know, the president of Estee Lauder. Like those emails too are just like, how? How is this possible? <laughs> you know, like what, where's the cameras? Is this a prank? Um, and I don't know. It's just, a, it's, a, it's a combination of, I think, um, two things. One is just like, we just do good work, I think, at mm -hmm. Sharma Brands. And um, we take this approach of like, this red carpet approach, which is like, you should, as the client, we should, if you're bringing us on, like, you should know we've got your back. Mm -hmm. If you have a launch that needs to happen on a certain date, your launch will happen on that date. Um, if your site goes down on launch, don't worry, we have two backups. And, um, you know, so like that's, that's what we bring on the launch and on the other stuff, it's just like, I, th I think we just work faster than a lot of other teams. Cause like we only work with five brands, so we don't work with a ton. And so that allows us, it definitely caps us in terms of like how much we can scale, but the quality of the work that we get out of it is so much better than if you go to, you know, a random Facebook ad agency or a random web agency or random like retention team and try to do the same stuff. And so, um, so I think that's one part. The second part is just like this content that I put out is, um, you know, like I've learned that a lot of the Fortune 500 um, C levels or basically people who like approve any of this stuff to happen, they love seeing that there's a lot of content, mm. and they love seeing the blog posts and the emails and like the things in on paper written down, you know, and um, and so I think that has been. Oh, like a weird advantage, but a very cool one to have. Um, but yeah, I think those are probably the two the two reasons that we attract a lot of that stuff. But yeah, I mean, even working on feastables or or just think like last night I was thinking like, wow, we work with uh, Chamberlain Coffee. That is that's pretty wild. <laughs> <laughs> it's that's crazy. It's amazing. So like, Chamberlain Coffee wants your help in some respect. What are you doing to help Chamberlain Coffee? Yeah. So, I mean, for, for each brand that we have, the scope is usually pretty different. And the way we approach it is like our team is capable of, you know, launching a brand. Um, and, and really I would say almost anything within direct to consumer, it all kind of comes back to like, um, mar uh, you know, advertising, uh, CRM or retention marketing, um, uh, things around like operations and fulfillment um, website development, website management, website innovation, um, you know, launching ads, creating those videos, those statics, um, all the way to like, you know, we, we were just on set last week with a big client of ours to do an entire photo shoot. And so, um, we kind of became this like external in-house marketing team or external in-house like growth team that can work with these brands and either take stuff off their plate or do things for them that they've thought about but didn't know how to do or 
a lot of times it's just like solving problems. So like the biggest um, catalyst to a lot of people working with us is just, uh, you know, I'll get introduced to somebody and they'll say, um, you know, like, yeah, we're having this problem where we can't figure out how to run influencer marketing in a way that like is tied to performance marketing. You know, we, uh, every time we've tested it, it doesn't work, but we know that there's a way to do it. Or, um, you know, we, we can't seem to figure out, um, we can't seem to figure out like how to really scale customer acquisition. And also we have this web website agency. We just paid a ton of money to, and we're not really sure that they get it because we think we want a better looking website, but we don't know like how to do that or how to go about that. Uh, can you guys just come in and take this all over? Or, um, you know, uh, and some are just super simple. Like we're just trying to get more efficient with our conversion rate. Or uh, we know that there's a lot of opportunity in in our existing customer base, but we don't know how to go about extracting that. Or, um, you know, we have we have one client who's doing like, you know, nine figures in revenue and they're just like, we don't even know who our customer is, but mm-hmm. we're killing it. But we need to figure out who our customer is so we can speak better to them and we can create better assets. And um, so a lot of it starts with like a question of like, or a problem rather. And then our, you know, our scope becomes the solution to that problem. And so the advantage with working with, you know, five or six brands at a time is that we can go pretty deep on a lot of this stuff and, um, really like spend the time and, and do what's needed versus uh, what you see with a lot of agencies. I shouldn't even be shitting on other agencies. I don't know why I'm doing this. Uh, yeah, we love like just going in and we always think, okay, what can we do to like go above and beyond? And so, um, yeah, so we just, we just always try to go above and beyond. Yeah, well, it seems like that from the roster and the the people you've worked with and what they've said about you. Yeah. What, what do you say is the, what are the few small inflection points that most people wouldn't see in your journey mm-hmm. that have led you to where you are today? Um, small inflection points. I think one is, um, well, the earliest one I can think of is like, um, going door to door to sell a bike in my neighborhood. Hmm. Uh, you know, I, I told my parents, like, I want this bike, this new bike at Walmart. And they said, yeah, go sell your current one and then we can buy a new one. Um, and similar to that too, when I wanted an iPod, I wanted the iPod Touch when it came out. And before that, the iPod Nano or the iPod Video. And uh, they were like, okay, well, make a presentation as to like why. You know, like, why, why do you need this iPod? And so, um, you know, the act of like thinking through that process or putting that PowerPoint together, and it wasn't just thinking through like, okay, well, how do I come up with a way that they see as beneficial, but also benefits me, but like, I don't really need an iPod. I kind of want an iPod, you know, but how do I turn that want into a need in their eyes? So that like, that was one part. The other part was just like learning PowerPoint. Like I became this PowerPoint ninja (laughs) of, you know, the animations flying in and, and like, uh, then even then presenting it, you know, and having it connected to the TV and like talking through it and all that stuff. I think that, that was like definitely one. Um, another one that, that I'm thinking of was in second grade. We, um, we learned, we had a cash register in second grade. It was, the second grade class had a cash register. And it was because a part of the year's curriculum was to put together like a soda business. And we had a mini fridge. We would cool the cans, you know, overnight. The next morning, if you were on soda business duty, um, you know, you were going door to door, every classroom, every office, trying to sell soda for a dollar a can. And then, you know, then you come back and you learn how to use the register and keep tabs and IOUs and all this thing, all these things. Um, that got me really f- like just fascinated in commerce. And I love the cash register and just like pressing the buttons. And um, so th- those were two. And then later, I think, um, you know, joining Hintwater was a big one because I, I joined and it was like, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of structure when I got there. Um, and so it was, it was kind of up to me to like hit the gas. And I remember the first meeting I had with this guy, Julio, who's now the CFO. Um, he was like, 
yeah, just so you know, like most people don't last in this role. Like this is the role that churns the fastest because most people just can't keep up mm. um, or hit their numbers. And I remember thinking like, all right, well, I'm not going to be most people here. <laughs> and um, and yeah, I just worked my ass off there. Um, and then later I would say probably, you know, like getting an office or like hiring a first employee on, a, on W... W-2 is like employee, um, you know, that was surreal and seeing payroll happen um, and just either, you know, first being very panicked by, oh shit, you know, am I, am I going to make this uh, to, um, to just like, you know, the payroll gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, but you know that like, you know, as long as the business is humming, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be okay. So yeah. You didn't go to college, correct? Correct. So what is that experience like? in the sense of, would, is that something you would recommend? Or how did you come to that conclusion? What did your parents think about that? And how do you think about that decision today, sitting here at 26 years old? Yeah. Um, honestly, I think it's like a, it's a per-person decision. Uh, I don't think there's any blanket answer. Um, I do think, though, that there are a lot more kids now who who have figured out something they're really good at and they're really passionate at. And that intersection, I think Sal calls it the zone of genius. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of those kids who drop out end up doing pretty well or, or pretty okay. Um, but I do think it is, you know, a college degree, like the first, um, the first few years of your career, it's basically the safety net. That's how I always think of it is like, you know, those nets uh, underneath construction sites. Like if somebody falls, it's just a big net to catch you. That's how I think of like a college degree, and that's how I've always thought about it. And so, and and this is separate. You know, if you're becoming like a doctor, a lawyer, something where you have to get these credentials, then it's different. People always say that, but why does why don't entrepreneurs create a school for doctors and lawyers that are better than the the school that exists? I think it's um, well, they're tied to like systems, right? So there are there are like medical schools out in the Caribbean, but you're not going to get the MD certification. Right. You know, you get a different one. Um, There's got to be a better way, though. For sure, I think there, that takes less time yeah. and creates better outcomes for people. A hundred percent. There has to be. But I think for most people, it's uh, it's definitely a personal choice. I mean, I I don't think I would recommend as a blanket statement you should or you shouldn't go to college. I think it's really down to like who you are as a person. Um, you know, a, a lot of people just don't even know like what they want to do the rest of their life. Mm. I was always fascinated by marketing and sales in high school. And so I, I was pretty confident that, okay, well, at least for um, this period, like I think this is what I'm going to go all in on. Um, but even then it was such a gamble, <laughs> <laughs> like such a gamble. I mean, um, and it's also, it, it it changes your mindset because now it's like, Oh, there is no safety net. So if you're not good at um, what you're doing to earn your salary, you're completely screwed. And um, and that was something that always like drove me uh, to just always get it done. I mean, even till today, like I'm always if something's not done, I'm not going to sleep till it's done. Because mm. um, I know that there is no other safety net. You know, there is no. Uh, there is no backup plan. There is no like, oh, well, I have a degree. I can go apply somewhere else. And um, so, yeah, I for me, I think I always, that's how I looked at it. But in my head, I think it was always an advantage for me because my mindset was always like, okay, I have to be really good at this. Like there is no, um, there is no option to be okay at this or, or like average at this. I, if I'm going to do it, I have to do the best that I can. And um and I, I, I just got to go all in. And how did the people around you look at that decision around that time? And, and did you have to convince them or was it like, nah, yeah, so this I is was, a good, good yeah, idea? Yeah, I was scared shitless to like tell my family. Um, and I didn't even care about, um, actually one thing like in high school and, and right after high school, I think I used to listen to a ton of like Gary Vee stuff. And his thing was always like, you got to do what makes you happy. And you got to do, uh, you, you just can't think about other people's opinions, right? And so that was always like ingrained in my head, and it still is today, where I just didn't even care what um, extended family would say. Um, 
or what anybody would really say generally. It was just making sure that, okay, my parents, I just got to make sure they're on this side as well. Like they got to, they got to be excited about it. And so I emailed them because I didn't want to tell them in person or call them. (laughs) And I emailed them that. And, um, I think my mom said she like cried all night that email, the, the night that I sent the email, but, um, she came around pretty quickly and I think she was like, oh, actually, um, he's going to go all in and he seems like he's going to be okay. And then my dad took longer to come around and then the longest was just everybody else, you know, but like, I also didn't care. So like, uh, even, even hearing, you know, we'd go for a Thanksgiving dinner and people are asking my mom, like, oh, you didn't, you didn't make sure your son went to college? Like, isn't that irresponsible as a parent? And um, I used to always think, like, first of all, why do these people care? Yeah. You know, like, how is it any of their business? Um, but even, even when I'd hear it, it just, it wouldn't really affect me. I think it would affect my family more just hearing, like, oh, you know, you're an irresponsible parent. Or how could you do, how could you as a mother, you know, not make sure that he goes to college? And, um, but personally, I, I didn't really care. I was just like, okay, well, I remember joining this ad tech company and, um, very quickly became, um, I was on the business development team and I was the one pulling in all the numbers. And that's when I was like, all right, I'm going to be fine. <laughs> like there's, uh, you know, if I can crush this, this is something I learned literally in the last, you know, few weeks. And, um, and if I can crush this, then I think I'll be okay. And then my mom saw that, and she was like, "Oh yeah, he's gonna be fine." And then, um, and then what was funny was a lot of the extended family. Once I got this like Forbes thirty under thirty uh, <laughs> listing, then they were like, "Oh yeah, we told you you didn't need college. You know, uh, we thought we knew it. We knew you were you were gonna be okay. Yeah, we 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 always knew that." Um, as if that was the thing that was really the yeah, important thing. Yeah, exactly. The validation from an institution or exactly. It's fascinating. It's how, the piece of paper. Yeah, it's yeah. so weird. You mentioned in that story how Gary Vaynerchuk was the one playing in your head yeah. and in the voice. Yeah. And that helped you send that email and yeah. do what you really wanted to do in your heart. Yeah. What was it then like to work for him? I know it only lasted three months where you yeah. were working for VaynerMedia, but was it, did you get up close with him? Did you have yeah, time with him? A couple times. Um, yeah, maybe two or three times. I mean, it was sick. The coolest thing was, was like, I mean, Gary is, uh, Gary, but outside of that, seeing how that Vayner ecosystem is built and how, um, how, how he's built that there's so much like, um, kindness within that company. There's so much excitement. You know, a lot of people have a side hustle, People are so ambitious there. Hmm. Um, people are always down to like build together or talk together, do just do cool things. Um, I really admire the culture that he built there, and um, I think that was my biggest takeaway. Was like, you know, you that is like the most important thing because without that, um, nothing else works, right? If if people aren't happy and excited and motivated and they feel like they have the clarity and the equipment. Um, it, it, like nothing else works. Mm. Yeah. How, how do you take that to Sharma Brands? I mean, I I constantly think about um, okay, how do we? You know, like is Bailey happy? Oh, Bailey's unhappy. Well, shoot. Uh, how can I fix that? Oh, she's unhappy because she's overloaded on design and and she's spending too much time and she's working too late. Okay, let's get her a designer quick. Let's get her somebody who can like take this off her plate mm. and. Um, you know, so I think of I think of culture all the time. I think of basically I just put it back to like, is this person motivated and are they happy? Mm. And um, that is, I think that's also the reason like we can we can move so well as a team and we can we can get things out so fast and we can ship things and we can create things and ideate things. Um, it just comes down to like our our um, you know our team's culture is like so tight and it's so. Um, everybody feels like they can be themselves. Everybody is extremely pumped about the work they do. Um, How many people are on the team? So on on the Sharma Brands team, there's probably uh, somewhere between like 14 to 20 people. And then we have another agency called 1180, Mm. which is growing, and that's probably um, six to eight people. And then we have hooks that we just recently launched, and that's probably like uh, 12, 13 people. The reason why I ask that is because if you 
it seems like you have big visions in your life for where you want to go. Do you plan to scale that up to more people or is this like what an the amount of people that you like working with. I mean, I think of Dunbar's number of being 150 and being like, all right, like, can I just take this to 150? Or is it something like where you want thousands of people working for you and around you on your stuff? Have you thought about that? I don't know if I want thousands. Mm. Um, Because what, VaynerMedia is what, thousands? Yeah, it's probably 1,000, 2,000 maybe. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's a whole different world. Right. Um, I I like knowing that... um, we have the right, like I think of, of everybody on our team as like a different piece of the toolbox. Hmm. And we have, um, as long as we, we consistently have the right toolbox to do the work we're trying to do, you know, if we bring on a, a certain type of client and they need something else, or I can see that we can probably execute that if we had one more tool in our toolbox, um, then I try to make sure we have the right toolbox. But yeah, I don't. I haven't really thought about like you know how many people Sharma Brands will have or um, how big it'll get. I, I definitely know. Like I love having a team. It's mm. like it is just the to me. It's like one of the greatest joys ever is like having a team, um, having that you know having that team group chat or like the Slack that's active and popping off. Um, I love that stuff. Well, you're clearly doing something right because last night one of somebody on your team tweets about you just had an amazing two and a half hour conversation and they were so excited about the conversation that they had to tweet about it and you stayed up another three hours because you were so excited that that to me feels like oh you're building a culture that Mm -hmm. is excited about the work that's interested that is engaged and speaks to your abilities as a leader yeah yeah i mean i think like um you know i I, uh, I learned this year that you basically have to have three things for good culture. You have to have clarity, equipment, and motivation. Hmm. And um, so for me, you know, I realized like with this specific project we were brainstorming on, there was like a lack of motivation across the board. And it was because we were thinking about it wrong or thinking about it in a different way. And so we spent those two and a half hours and, you know, I was like, hey, here's, here's 25 bucks, get some food ordered in. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to do the same. Let's jump on at, at 6 or 6.30. And, you know, it was only supposed to be, I think, like an hour. Um, but we just kept going. And we had so many good ideas. We had four or five pages of notes. And uh, and then we were like, all right, well, what are the what are the results here? You know, like, all right, we're going to do this and this. And this is going to be owned by this person. And this person's going to drive it. And um, And then this morning, you know, we both woke up, like, still super pumped and ready to go. Do you have a structure for your calls or something like that? Do you have like, all right, this is how we're going to have a most effective call? Uh, no. If anybody listening has a good one, please please let me know. But um, I always think, I always try to be more efficient because I spend a lot of time in meetings or talking to other people. So I try to think like, okay, how can I make this the most efficient, you know, 30 minutes or I hate meetings longer than 30 minutes. Mm. Um I, I think most meetings can just be fifteen or twenty, and and uh, you can fit more in. But I think uh, you know I always I always go into a meeting with like an agenda, a personal agenda. I don't share it with everybody, but it's just like okay, at, from this meeting, these are like the one or two things I want out of the meeting. These are like the outcomes I want, hmm. and uh, potentially I might I, I might have one or two roadblocks I want to discuss as a as a team or as a group. That, that's pretty much it. That's really helpful. Yeah. Now, when you think about um, the most impactful moments of your career thus far. Yeah, it was funny looking at your website and seeing a hundred thousand <laughs> followers on Twitter yeah. at the age of twenty-five was something that to you was like worthy of noting. Yeah, and it was a big deal. And I, when I spoke to Harrison, he was like, "Twitter has given Nick special powers." A hundred percent. So, could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, I mean, Twitter for me is like. Um, it's to me i think of it as like it gave me the fast pass like it gave me the the disneyland fast pass i can go to any ride i want and i'm right at the front of the line and it's all because i have this twitter account Mm. and it's a it's a two-way thing so like i have to feed the twitter account with content and good ideas or um engaging with this community that um that is built around e-commerce and cpg and um and then in return it's like uh, 
you know, something as simple as like launching, launching something big on Shopify. Like I'm DMing with Harley or, uh, <laughs> or interviewing him at this very studio. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or, or, you know, um, running it into it, this happens a lot. And this is one of the most, the things I'm most grateful for. We run into an issue with something, whether it's, um, you know, let's say like, uh, uh, an app for just the Shopify app mm-hmm. run into an issue or, um, you know, something's not getting done the way it should. And it's like one DM and the thing is fixed, mm. you know? Um, and so I think Twitter has a lot of power, um, in the sit and I'm tripping up cause I'm like, I don't want to sound like a douchebag. No, you're that, not like this happens cause I have these followers, but right. it's also that two way street. Right. But on the other hand, I actually think anybody on Twitter, like Twitter is one of those spots where if you think about, um, a customer service inbox, you think about a Facebook page, Instagram page, there's not a lot of two-way communication. I mean, customer service is different. There's definitely two-way, but it's like delayed. Whereas Twitter is like, you know, the founder of a company might be there that you're trying to get in touch with. And like that guy also has nothing going on on his Twitter because he's got, you know, uh, 413 followers. If you tweet him, he will definitely see it. You know, in fact, he'll probably also get an email from Twitter saying you have a new notification. So there's like, it's a, it's basically, it's an arbitrage if you're trying to connect with people like Harrison and I connected on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think there's so many other people, I mean, we connected on Twitter too. Uh, there's so many people that I, that I've hired, that I work with, that I um, have done deals with, that I have invested in their company, and it's all a result of just this, you know, uh, world on Twitter. What could people do better to be better tweeters? Um, I think it's just like you just got to put things out. You just got to like actively um, share what you're doing, what you're building. Um, you know, going back to Gary, like he just says, document, don't create. So like, that was one thing when I heard that, I was like, okay, so, uh, I run this campaign at hint. It did really well. Let me just tweet about it. Mm. And then all of a sudden it's like Austin reef is in the DM saying, uh, Oh, you run marketing here. Want to get coffee in New York or, um, and I think Austin was one of the first people I met on Twitter. And that's when I was like, Oh, I can actually, if I just put good things out or things from my world out, I'll meet other really dope people who are also doing similar things, and um, and luckily Twitter is a platform where like smart people hang out on. You know, it's like the the smart people like town square. Yeah, hundred percent. And yeah. wh- have you noticed any particular inflection points in the Twitter journey and doing particular things? You obviously mentioned to document instead of yeah uh, instead of like pontificate a message like you're an expert. You just show what you're doing. Yeah. Is there any other things that you do differently that you think? people can learn from or, or help? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think Twitter, like to do well on Twitter, just to like do well on an Instagram or TikTok or, um, or YouTube, like you have to kind of know the, the, the format of, you know, how do you hook somebody in and how do you retain their readership? Mm-hmm. And um, so I think there's definitely nuances there. Uh, Sean Puri's power writing course, like is a perfect Bible for this, mm-hmm. as well as the, um, the Ship 30 course. Uh, both of those are, are like phenomenal if you want to learn how to maximize Twitter or use, uh, talk about what you're doing and maximize the return on talking about it. Um, so those, those are super helpful and have been super helpful. I took both. Um, David's course, The Rite of Passage, I took, I think, the first version of it. And, um, and that was another one that was a, a great learning because I, I was just like, okay, well, I just got to basically save a bunch of stuff that's interesting, kind of build this database of information. And, um, and then I can just take that and synthesize it and add my thoughts and put it out. And it's something completely different, but has a lot of the same characteristics, but it's mine. Um, and so I think that was another one too. Yeah. And on that point, whenever you have a reaction in your own day-to-day life, yeah, think about what gave me that reaction and can I jot it down? Oh, that's so, a great one. <laughs> did you laugh? Did, did you say, wow, I didn't realize that before? If you catch yourself thinking that or feeling some sort of emotion to something that has just happened, yeah. you should jot that down in your notes immediately because someone 100%. else might get that feeling as well. Totally. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. So um, before we wrap up here, I, I like to close with a, a final challenge for people because you know we talk about all this stuff, but a challenge is something that people can take and do in yeah. their own life. So like, from everything we've talked about or something we haven't talked about, what's a challenge you could give to someone listening or watching? 
So this is a challenge that um, all of our interns did this summer, and it was uh, it was just cool to see it happen, and also the results were amazing. Um, but you know, write one cold email a week, like make a list of um, twenty five people you want to meet, and it could be anybody from um, you know Sammy Clark to uh, Mark Cuban to you know. Jack Dorsey to like even just like somebody who owns your favorite ice cream shop on your block and um, you know just write a cold email and just see what happens and um, and that power writing course I mentioned is is a phenomenal course to learn how to write cold emails mm. um, but if you just start writing them and you know you go if you just go to Twitter and in quotation marks search cold email or cold emailing you'll find a ton of content on how to write re- really good cold emails. Uh, and then just send one a week, and I guarantee you, you will, you will just meet the coolest people ever. And also, nobody writes. Not a lot of people write really good cold emails. So when you write a really good cold email, it stands out. And we'll link the thread that you wrote on cold emails below, yeah. so people can check that out. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time here yeah, today, thank Nick. You. Where can we send people to connect with you further? Uh, Twitter is probably the easiest. Um, Twitter is just at Mr. Sharma. M R S H A R M A. Linked below. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you. you.